Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10am service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us. And check out our website at mpbc.org.au. This morning we're going to focus on moving from fear to faith. And I'm going to get uh, some help from you to do that. I'm going to invite you at one point to just share some of the scariest moments you've experienced and uh, let the rest of us know what they are. Now, but before I do that, I'd like to just mention a, uh, a Baptist pastor who loved golf. We had a shot at Baptist pastors last Sunday night, but um, this fellow loved golf and he had a Catholic priest friend who loved golf as well and this Catholic priest was always saying how great it was to get out on the golf course of a Sunday morning. The pastor said, well, I can't do that. I've got worship. You can log yourself in for a Saturday night mass. You're okay. You're free for Sunday, but I can't do that. The priest said, well, why don't you ring in sick? <laughs> Played on him for weeks. And eventually he coughed and spluttered into the phone to the church secretary how bad he was feeling and he just couldn't make it. So he got the excuse, accepted, put on sunglasses, hat over his, you know, just disguised as much as he could, backed out the drive, off he went to the golf course. There was the priest, happy to see him. He said, I'll let you go first. Now it just happened that at that very moment, a bunch of rookie angels were being retrained by Gabriel. And uh, they looked down at the golf course and saw this Baptist pastor about to tee off. What are we going to do about him, said the, these young angels. And Gabriel said, leave him to me. And just as the club came through to the uh, ball on the, on the tee, Gabriel grabbed the ball, just popped it into the first hole. Well, the priest was a bit surprised, and I'll give you that one. Next time, he tees off on the second tee. Gabriel grabs the ball, drops it on the back of an eagle, which flies over to the flag, sits on the flag, and the ball drops down the post into the hole. The priest said, I'll give you that one. Incredibly spectacular golf shots that day, all thanks to Gabriel picking up the ball and dropping it in different directions, but making sure that after 16 holes, only 16 strokes. The priest is a little frustrated because he hasn't picked up his club yet. And the Baptist pastor is just amazed. And these young angels, they're, they're just so frustrated. You said, we're going to punish this guy. And Gabriel says, I am. Who's he going to tell? <laughs> And uh, that's, that's the setting I'd like to share with you this morning through Donna as she brings us a reading from uh, Luke chapter 1. Thank you, Donna. Thank you. So from Luke 1, and it is indeed the angel speaking to Mary. In the yes, sixth ma'am. month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to the town of Nazareth in a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, said Mary, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Mary, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who said, is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. Thanks, Donna. Thanks, Mike. (laughs) Now, how do you take news like that? I often think that we look at uh, Bible stories and we know what the story leads to, but we often don't really explore what's happening in the story itself. So this might be a little bit of um, misguided male viewpoints, but um, having lived through four pregnancies that uh, Judy has had and uh, seeing what comes through, I'd just like to throw in a few insights. I've called this story, Who Can I Tell?, What a day. As darkness wrapped itself around her, Mary sank her head onto the pillow with so many rebounding thoughts competing for her attention. I'm still alive after seeing an angel. An angel who told me I was blessed among women. How could this be? Pregnant. But who can I tell? And what can I tell them? How will anyone believe me? This baby... My baby, the son of the Most High? Does this mean I'll have to carry the weight of the world for the future? And cousin Elizabeth, pregnant at her age? Heaviness was claiming every part of her body as her mind lapsed towards unconsciousness. And her last semblance of wonderment was to brush her hand over the firm flatness of her stomach as the angel's voice subsided in the dullness. Then another voice, an incessant, syrupy snarl began to ooze into her thoughts. The malevolent stench of its breath was filtered by her drowsiness that dropped her guard against the cunning accusations that began to masquerade as her own thinking. Some blessing. Here in this hick town, there should be a first prize in the lottery. With a weekend for two in Nazareth and the second prize a whole month. God spoke to me? No, it wasn't him, it was an angel. Who do I think I am? Me? Mary? A handmaid of the Lord? Was that what I said? What about all those other handmaidens or servants of the Lord? They've all been abused, beaten, persecuted, 
killed, sawn in two, you name it, they've copped it. Fools, all of them. And what did they get out of it? Zilch, Zippo, nothing at all. Well, how am I going to like dying? Naturally, for adultery, stoning is the way. And those stones, as big as my fist and bigger, and a mob will be baying for my blood in no time. They're sure to handle it that way. I'll just have to leave town. Maybe some Gentile family over in the Decapolis will take me in because life around here won't be worth living once I start to show. Oh, and what about Joseph? How'll he take the news? He's such a good man. Impossible to tempt. How can I tell him? Guess what, Joe? I'm pregnant, but don't worry. I, I haven't been playing around. This is God's baby, the Messiah, and he'll save us from all our sins. I can just hear him. Mary, please, call me Joe, not slow. I know the Messiah will save us from our sins, but who'll save you from this one? Let's break it off right now. If I can't trust you before we get married, how can I trust you afterwards? Yeah, that's it. I don't want anybody smirking at me when I know I haven't touched you. Mary, a handmaid of the Lord. The tone began to shift from sowing doubts to arrogant assertions. You've got no idea how I've got everything running my way with powerful people under my control everywhere. And your Jewish scholars, <laughs> I've heard their debates and discussions. Some of them will say Bethlehem is the place. Others say that God will call his son from Egypt. Nothing will happen here. <laughs> Nazareth is a no-show. And what can a baby do? The Jews want another David, a leader who mobilised them into an army and drive the Romans into the sea. What kind of baby could do that? Mary, you're throwing your life away. Can't you just feel how hard and sharp those stones will be? And who will throw the first one? Probably Jerash. After all, he leads the synagogue. He's such a good man, a long-time friend of your family. Poor, sad, foolish Mary. It's just not worth the risk. As dawn light slowly overtook the shadows of night, a chorus of bird calls greeted a new day. Mary's heart joined their praise, despite her fitful sleep. And the angel's message about Elizabeth's pregnancy strode back into her thinking. Maybe Elizabeth and Zachariah would understand whatever she told them about what God was bringing into being. Yes, she had a lot to think about, but despite the risks, without telling anyone, she would keep her promise to be the handmaid of the Lord. When God touches us or challenges or invites us, second thoughts are natural. And we needn't be guilty about having second thoughts. But we don't let those second thoughts take priority. Mary's visit from Gabriel was a huge risk for her when you think about it because adultery was a crime punishable by stoning, stoning to death. And those stones are as big as somebody's fist. They're huge. They're not little pebbles or grains of sand. It was a big risk for Mary, but it was a huge risk for God too because 
With that justice system, Jesus might never have been born this way. And again, who could Mary tell? You can talk about a Baptist pastor's love for golf and his frustration, but here we've got a life and death issue. Not just a matter of embarrassment or pride misplaced, but in the miraculous birth of John the Baptist as it was coming up, only Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth could be trusted with the news. And so Mary went down to Judea where Zechariah and Elizabeth were living. Zechariah, after all, was rostered on for the temple at the time. She stayed down there for three months and then made her way back to Nazareth. Again, tremendous risk because she would be starting to show and the gossips would start to be fed, but you know, she was protected there. Joseph's honour protected as well. But an emotional turmoil time. You know how hard it is to keep a good secret. Eh? What, am I, what are you getting for Christmas? Oh, I don't know, but not the same. But it's harder to keep a threat down because it really makes you on edge. Fear is a natural response. Angels were seen as messengers of punishment or death because God seemed so distant. You could only visit the temple for special feast days or on the Sabbath or with special offerings. It had to be so special because nobody was qualified to go anywhere near God. And an angel coming was usually a sign of bad things to come. Now let's shift the focus off angels. Whenever we're in the company of people who we don't feel quite qualified to be with, we're so much more aware of our faults. Have you noticed that? Unless you don't have any faults. No, it's not a problem. <laughs> okay. Now, fearing what we first don't understand is completely natural. But fear doesn't have the final say. Now, I mentioned how I would like to invite different people to share a scary story, uh, some episode from the past, the most terrifying moment you've had, if you'd like to um, just have a lend of a microphone. How about that? Here's a preacher inviting people to say something. Ah, Eugene. This is revenge for last week when I labelled him as a serial offender, is it? <laughs> Let's hear the story, Eugene. Uh, <clears throat> my wife Kay and I were going for a country uh, drive uh, down near uh, Forest. In, um, you'd know it, it's not far from Ballarat. It's south of Colorado. <clears throat> and there'd yeah. been some uh, rain and wind the day before and we were on a track to see waterfalls, which are plenty down there. And uh, we were driving along um, a, a gravel road and, uh, and uh, there were lots of litter on the, f the ground, but we thought it was okay. Um, a Chinese gentleman with his family came the opposite way in a Mercedes-Benz didn't realise the significance of the time, but we came and there was a tree, a small tree across the road. Well, that's the so I said to myself, well, I'm driving an old Merc, I'll get across that. He did. I didn't know he did, but I believed he did. And so I took a bit of a run up. Um, 
and uh, on an angle, and I got one wheel over and one wheel didn't go over. So uh, the more I tried, the more we were digging ourselves in. Evening was coming, the nearest town was 10 kilometres away and there was no one else on the road. So we were deciding who would walk and who would stay and uh, would it be safe for either of us to walk or stay. Then along came about an hour later after worrying and trying to dig ourselves out, a chap in a, a ute, young guy, and he stopped and said, what's wrong, mate? And I said, well, <clears throat> we're stuck over this log and we can't get over it and uh, we can't go back, we can't go forward and we don't know what to do. He said, that's all right, mate, I've got a chainsaw in the back. He said, as a matter of fact, yesterday when I saw all that blow around, uh, I thought perhaps I'd better stick a chainsaw in the back for myself, so I'll give you a hand. So he and I managed to chop up the tree and remove the logs and uh, build up um, a little ramp from where the tyres were sinking into the gravel and we got across. Now I tried to give him money, I, tried, I thanked him and uh, I said, uh, this is really, really great that you've come along now. The only person who came along. We were worried at the time, uh, but uh, we went along and like men tend to go on no matter what, I said, no, I'm turning around. So I had about a five-point turn and came around and we went back. And uh, I actually wrote the story up in the local paper. Uh, there was a cartoon of uh, my wife and I sitting on a log with a candle and the stars out. So we haven't got a good laugh of it anyway. And I learned a bit of a lesson. But I was afraid, not for myself so much, but more for the okay. And I thank the Lord for that chap who came along, and, uh, and uh, there you are. Thanks, Eugene. I guess that's the way the Mercedes bends. But anybody else? Come in? Peter. And living such a sheltered life in your occupation, what, what could you ever possibly have to be scared about? For those of you who don't know, this man is often in uniform of a Sunday. How long have we got? Oh. Uh, one of the stories uh, from work, I was standing next to this guy that I knew. Uh, I'd known him for maybe two years and he was a crook. And um, my offsider decided to search his car. We were on Sydney Road. And so I'm standing there talking to this guy, my offsider searching his car. And he stands up and he... Um, he holds his pen in his hand. He goes, mate, what's this? It's a pen gun. He goes, grab him, Pete. So I've gone to grab him. And he goes, mate, I've got a 22 down my pants, loaded, ready to go. I went, oh, I'm glad he told me that because the, the other option is that he could have pulled that out and action beats reaction. So, uh, yeah, one of the times that I probably couldn't have been here. Hmm. So it worked out well. Great. Now, on Australia Day, January... Ah, oh, Marie. On Australia Day, we're going to have a special Thanksgiving service where those of you who've travelled from other countries, some of you have gone through much more trauma than Eugene or Peter have described, and it'll be an opportunity for you to share your stories for the rest of us so that we can give thanks for freedom and new life in lots of ways. Thanks, Marie. Okay. Uh a lot of you would have uh, watched that series, Emergency 911, 000, mm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, um, I, I never knew, I thought I would be in that situation one day. Like, that was uh, 
one year and uh, three weeks ago, mm. end of uh, November, and uh, I happened to be home on that day, not to swap my day off, and uh, Jack wasn't, uh, he, he was just bre- breathing and not responding and unconscious, and, and Isabel was home, and then, oh, we called the, night, the emergency, that was the s- scariest <laughs> time. And uh, we had the phone on loudspeaker and said, first thing they asked, is he breathing? So I said, oh, thank God he was breathing. Otherwise, I would never know how to do mouth-to-mouth or <laughs> like, <laughs> like CPR. I said, oh, never done that. But uh, God was in control of the mm-hmm. whole situation. And uh, if it was uh, more than 24 hours, I don't think it would be a different story. So, mm-hmm. And I thank God for that. So. That's was right. the scariest moment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Marie. I, uh, I was talking to a bunch of people down at Colac, and um, I asked them to see uh, their, their experiences. And one lady had been living down in the Otways, and it was a hot summer night, and she described getting up about one o'clock, unable to sleep, and looking out through the window, and then out in the yard, and almost seeing a ring of red around the horizon from bushfires much like what's happening in New South Wales at the moment, Queensland and Gippsland. Another fellow described being in South Australia late in the afternoon driving towards the setting sun and he could just make out the car that had stopped pointed his way and he thought the driver was waving to him and said, well, I don't know you, so he waved back anyway. And then just before he got to the car, he felt two bumps Then he heard the train come thundering through behind him. He hadn't seen it. And then dear old Bob, who'd been in the British Army as a paratrooper in World War II. Very simple story. He said, during the war, we were in Palestine, and I jumped out of the plane, and my parachute didn't open. Couldn't realise the gravity of what was involved here. But but, uh, then in a classic bit of British understatement, he said... About 200 feet above the ground, it did open, and I was pleased. <laughs> I think I'd be pleased too. But, you know, it's interesting, our, most, our scariest moments often produce our strongest memories and our funniest stories. Now, because you think back how you've got through something you didn't think you were going to get through, and you see the funny side of maybe what you might have contributed in the first place or what you might not have seen coming anyway, but it's worked out fine. Because facing our fears makes us stronger. It's really that simple. Uh, One acronym for fear is false evidence appearing real. You like that one? You can write it down. Good one. (laughs) False evidence appearing real. It's not the complete picture because it leaves God out of the picture. And we need to be honest about our fear, but we also need to be honest about God's availability. Now, last year, I was part of the uh, Whitley study tour to Jordan and Israel. And here are just a couple of photos of where some shepherds could, were, had the visit from the angels. It's not, it's not really attractive country. And in the background, you'll see the city of Bethlehem. As I mentioned last week, it's no longer a little town. There's 200,000 people living there and a lot of high-rise apartments and things. But there's not a lot there in the, in the country. It, uh, you see the Kedron River running down towards the um, Jordan 
um, valley. But we've got a, uh, a bit of a surprise here. Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This, this was when Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. Joseph also went up from the town of Jerusalem, uh, Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with his wife Mary, who was pledged to be married and was expecting a child. Now, the story that we often hear is that they, not, they arrived the very night that Mary gave birth, but there's no real proof of that. Just says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, at great expense of the management, we weren't able to get all the shepherds here, but we have got one of them this morning. And Scott, if you'd like to come up, thank you, and read your bit. And there were... And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And angels of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard, <coughs> all who heard it were amazed and at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank you, Scott. That's great. Now, the shepherds, you can keep that. They were terror-struck. They were doomed, were they? But God chose them to hear the news first. He visits Mary in a corner of Galilee, just one-to-one, Gabriel and Mary. A little bit of confirmation through Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth, reassurance for Joseph. But that was as far as it went for her. But then the shepherds, now they were the lowest of the low. They had no social standing, no religious qualifications at all. Yet go with the ones God touched first with the news. Now I often 
have people say to me, oh, I couldn't come to church, or I need a hard hat or whatever, you know. They, they just don't feel qualified. But, you know, I say, look, God chose us. God chose most unqualified people. No status. Nothing else to rely on other than that fresh message from him. Personal, intimate and life-changing. They came, they saw and they told. They had no reputation to lose. They just let everybody know what they'd seen. Mary was not able to tell anybody all this time. And even then, as Scott read to us, she kept these things hidden in her heart and treasured. And, uh, well, she had a lot to think about still. But when we think about it, God takes risks too. He's risked his reputation with the lowest of the low. So none of us need ever feel that we don't really deserve what God's blessing is. Nobody's out of his reach. And the message from the angel was for peace and goodwill from the ground up. Now it's interesting that over this period, for 200 years, there'd been an incredibly stable political system through the Romans. 200 years of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. I'll have more to say about this next Sunday as we look at God's perfect timing. But even though the world was very much at peace because of the Romans enforcing the peace, and sometimes quite brutally, the angels had a bigger message than fear of the Romans. It was peace on earth, goodwill among people, not a peace that's imposed from externals, but something that grows from within. The most, the lowest of the low suddenly respected by God to be trusted with this life-changing message. And from there, it just goes through every level of society. If you look at the book of Acts, or Luke and Acts together, because the same person wrote both, Luke talks about the gospel being sown in an obscure corner of Nazareth and Galilee, gathering momentum in Jerusalem, as Pentecost breaks out and the church spreads and Acts finally finishes with Paul under house arrest in Rome, which was the very centre of the empire, and from there God moved across the world with a life-changing message. So nobody's out of his reach. We needn't kick our chins around thinking we just don't qualify or worse, look down on somebody else and say they're not worth telling Everybody's worth telling. Peace and goodwill growing internally. And just interesting how God bridges the fears when you think about Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. That was the birthplace of Jesus, who called himself later the bread of life. God had a bigger purpose to bring out something beyond the obscurity of that little Bethlehem place. Shepherds were told about Jesus' birth first of all. And what did Jesus describe himself later as? The good shepherd. Shepherds were evil, untrustworthy. 
They just didn't belong, but they could be, well, entrusted with a few sheep who didn't have any brains anyway. But through this whole event, God has stepped personally into our world. Now fear, as I said, is a doorway to faith if we choose to open the door. But God's love keeps taking risks. He took risks with Mary. He took risks with Joseph and the shepherds. He took risks with a bloke who was a hired assassin. Saul of Tarsus. He was given special permission and payment to get rid of all these Christians. God had a bigger idea. And as a result, we have so much to learn from what God did with his life and his mind as he wrote the the, uh, letters and planted churches all over the place. God's love takes risks, but God's middle name is love. Just have a look at that verse. You might like to read it out loud. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. And of course the greatest love statement of all, God loved this world so much and everybody in it that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but live forever. Not perish doesn't mean just not dying. It means also not getting so inflexible that we can't get to roll and move with changing times without losing our integrity, without losing our truth and our identity, but we're able to move with adjustment so that the, the love keeps flowing. It's a question of belief. Those who believe, not just a mental assessment, but are saying, yes, I'm touched in my heart with this truth that God thinks I am worth the effort that he's taken, not just in sending Jesus into a world as an infant, but to be a teacher, a healer, and a means of grace as he hung on the cross. To pay the cost of anything that stands in our way of knowing him, of understanding ourselves, and of being an agent of his grace to reach out into a world of broken people who don't feel qualified. That's the offer. It might be scary, but it's powered by love to bridge across any fears we have with the certainty of his presence with us, not just at the moment of the crisis, but following on into eternity. If you haven't made that decision for yourself I'd invite you to make it this morning. We're going to sing a Christmas carol, Silent Night, as the baby sleeps in heavenly peace I'd invite you to enjoy that eternal peace and just if you'd like to come forward during the singing, it'll be different but it's your invitation from God through me and through everybody who's going to be singing let's pause to pray Lord, we want to thank you that you've stepped into our world as one of us so you know what it's like to be a human being. You know what it's like to experience all the tests we face and yet, Jesus, we thank you that you didn't fail once and yet you're not holding yourself out as some arrogant success story. 
you're understanding all the pressures we face. And Lord, you know our hearts, and we hear your voice speaking to our hearts with your invitation to live and to, as you've given yourself to us, give ourselves to you. So we thank you for your welcome, because your love casts out all fear. And we thank you for your own name's sake. Amen.